What happens when your worst fear becomes your reality? Hi, I'm Brent Cassidy. Welcome to the Nightmare Success In and Out podcast, where we explore how to overcome your fears and nightmares and set yourself free. We're going to be exploring this topic with guys that was in Leavenworth with and others who survived their own nightmare. These stories can be inspiring, sometimes sad. There's some humor, but hopefully you can come away with a nugget of something that'll help you knock down some of the prisons you built up in your own mind. All right, folks. I know you always come back here to the podcast to listen to the good stuff. Well, I've got some good stuff. Uh, I've got Peter Meyerhoff here today as my guest, and I want to give a shout out to Seth Ferrante that got us connected here. Uh, Seth's a great guy. If anybody's looking for a great documentary that is out there, he just uh, he's in the St. Louis Film Festival right now. It's called Nightlife. It's unbelievable. Just saw it last Sunday. So, tell you a little bit about my guest, Peter Meyerhoff. You could say that this guy, Peter, had the world at the palm of his hand as a kid He in athletics, modeling. He even starred in a movie as a kid. But once he hit high school, everything changed. He got involved in drugs, started out with weed, led to hard drugs. His life spiraled downhill extremely fast, being arrested several times for stealing cars, robbing houses. He was sent to prison for 12 years at the age of 18. Peter ended up getting swallowed up in the prison politics, ended up being a shot caller on the prison yard. When, when Peter got out at the age of 30, he hit the ground running. He had success in business. He started a popular podcast everybody needs to check out. It's called Roll Call with Chappie. And it was, uh, its intent is to motivate people. Uh, as well as he, he goes and shares the stories inside prisons. Peter's goals now are to motivate people when he speaks, using his mental strength that he acquired in solitary confinement, helping others get sober, and change the recidivism rate by showing people what's really possible with the right drive and no excuses. Peter Meyerhoff, wow, man. Welcome in. That's quite the intro. That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hell of a story, man. Talking about. I, I, I'm, cu I'm curious because, you know, I, I've kind of been inside the Peter Meyerhoff head here the last 48 hours before we were getting on this show. You know, with what was going on when you were a kid, I mean, it sounds like you had a good child life, upbringing. The Things greatest. were going great. The greatest. Like, lived in the cool, lived in a cool cul-de-sac. I mean, there was 10 or 12 houses there and every single one of them with kids our same age. Um, I never touched a video game my entire life as a kid. Like, I was in the streets playing sports every single day. Um, you know, I was a top athlete at multiple sports. Um, you know, I was in, I got into modeling. I had a modeling agent when I was like 11 or 13 or something. And I even got a part in a movie. And then. What was that you know, like? I mean, Peter, what was that like? I mean, at that age, you know, getting into modeling and being in a movie, I mean, what, how does that. How do you go back to the, how do you go back to the neighborhood? <laughs> yeah, it, it felt like I could do anything. You know, life was easy. You know, yeah. like and life was good. You know, it was it was, it was awesome. It was, it was cool being a kid. You know, and uh, you know, it's crazy. It was a baseball movie, and you remember Hideo Nomo, the pitcher? Yeah, it was awesome. The movie was about him coming to America. So I'm 13 years old. And I actually got to hit batting practice off Hideo Nomo. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And 
but it's so crazy how much how quick you know life can switch. You know, my life got my life switched upside down overnight. You know, like uh, when I was fifteen. Well, tell me how how did that happen for you? Because you know, there's a lot of things that happen when you're a kid, and you know, one thing can lead to another. But it, it sounds like at one point you're you're like all's great. You know, it's the Norman Rockwell painting. You enter high school and you get into what? Wrong crowd? What what happens? So I was in, it's technically the wrong crowd, but I was in with the crowd, you know. So I went to I went to high school and as a freshman I was instantly in with the seniors and juniors. Okay. You know, my my mom was a flight attendant, so she was out of town four or five nights a week. So I mean I use that I'm I'm just a people person. I'm good at networking, like and clearly it's what I do now, but as you are now, you know, right. Yeah. Yeah, and it all makes sense now. You know, I was doing that in high school and uh I had, I, you know, it was a, I'll tell you the story that what, what ruined my whole life is, um, I was 15 years old, you know, the most popular kid in school, me and my other friend who was, we're the two most popular kids in our school. And my mom is out of town. So that's what we do. We party, drink, you know, have, do whatever. But this, this was this weekend. He, he wanted to hook up with another chick. So I, and I'm not even joking. I've known this chick since we were in kindergarten. I took him for the team for like, and I, lo- I legit lost my virginity that weekend. And he asked me that if they could have him over to use my house. So me and my best friend have two other girls over to hook up. They, we weren't even driving it. So like you had to like sneak out like your kid. So like the other chick, Lindsay's older brother picked them up when they snuck out of the bedroom window. He supplied us with a whole bottle of Jack Daniels. We drank that for two days in a row, but through this Friday night. So he hooks up with her, loses his virginity. I hook up with her, lose my virginity. The next night, we do the exact same thing, Saturday night. And Sunday, I I, I go to call her, and she's like, says I had sex while she was sleeping. And I'm like, what? I'm like, I don't even know what that means. What? And yeah, like, that's how it, and I was like, I don't, I like, I don't even know what that means. And um, it, I mean, to this day, uh, the only thing, the, it's not even, it's not even reasonable. The only somewhat reasonable explanation that I can think of is she came home hammered probably got caught sneaking in and the first thing she could think of to get the attention off her is I just had sex, you know, whatever happened. That's the only, the only somewhat reasonable explanation. Sure. Yeah. Because she had charges and she wouldn't take a lot of sex tests. Mm-hmm. But overnight I go from being the dude to like everybody. And what's crazy is my best friend won't stick up for me. Wow. He's either, I'm, Hands off. And I'm like, so I go to school the next day and like, it's like, I'm not even safe here. Like, I'm like, and I had a dude tell me in school, like, yo, you, I would leave. Like, they're going to do something to you. You know what I mean? I'm like, and I could just, I was walking the halls and I went from being the most popular kid in high school to just everybody staring at me, but no one would like talk to me and like put their heads down when I try and talk to them. All in one day. Like, in one day. And then, so like, literally, like the, I think, I don't remember if they lost the school down or something or they just came and got me out of class. Um, but they literally took me into the police officer's room with the, with the principal and stuff and like, had to give me a police escort off campus. Wow. I don't remember if they suggest or whatever, but I was like, I'm all right, I'm done with school here. Like I couldn't, I literally couldn't go back to school there. Man, that's a and, lot for a kid to take on at that age of 15. Wow. So I guess I went from that to like, now I'm like 15 years old. I'm like, I don't even have to go to school anymore. And I can't talk to any of my old friends. Who do you think I turned to? The bad stuff. Dudes that do drugs and don't go to school either. Right. So I'm like, and even then, like, I think I had smoked weed, but I wasn't even like a, I was just, I was a jock, you know, like I was yeah, you're athlete. playing athletics. I mean, you don't really even have time for that when you're doing that. I did the yeah. same thing. I was, I, the, the, you don't have time to do it. Not at all. When I smoked weed, my, my buddy like made me do it. Cause I was like always a class clown too. And he's like, 
he was literally like, you're smoking this. He's like, you're going to be hilarious when you're smoking. And like, I did, and I didn't even care for it. I was like, whatever, I'm, I'm not with that stuff. You know, like, I like to do stuff and play sports all day. And um, so, yeah, I start getting into drugs and just spiral downhill so okay, fast. Okay, so let, go, me, let me ask you this, though, Peter. When you say you start getting into drugs, did you do it because you felt like that it was kind of like your escape from the really bad stuff that had happened? You went from the popular kid to the outcast kid, and this was a way for you to – it worked. Self-medicate? It was, it was, but it wasn't, it was, I didn't even honestly give it that much thought. Like, I just, I went and hung out with these kids, and I remember the first week and I hung out, hung out with them, it was like a Thursday or Friday or something, and they're literally doing meth and smoking crack and stuff, and I'm wow. like, I didn't do it to numb the pain, I just did it, because that's what they were doing. And Everybody then was doing I, it. I kept doing it to numb the you know what I'm saying? And then there's just like, I, I didn't, from that first time I did, you know, it's crazy, he told me meth was like, he's like, just trust me, you'll love it. It's like a party drug, he's like, it's coke times 10. That's how meth got explained to me. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I did meth that first night, and I did not do it up uh, again until I went to rehab, and I was in rehab at 15 years old. I tell you yeah, what, I, the, I the meth, the meth story is so. I, I had a guy on uh, Cal Kilosing who was the number four golfer in the world as a teenager, and his whole life changed overnight because he took a hit off the pipe of meth, and that was it. Yep. Uh, that drug makes you, it turns you into a different human being. So, yeah, so I went into rehab and then we get into, they start, you know, stealing cars and, you know, I stole a Mercedes Benz, some of the Mercedes Benz dealership brand new back when Gone in 60 Seconds came out because they were saying those cars were unstealable. And, um, and then, you know, spring break. Adrenaline rush? Is that what that was? I mean, no, we were doing it for money, like drug money. You, know you were I mean? actually doing like, it for money. Yeah. Yeah. And um, spring break, my senior, what should have been my senior high school, excuse me, um, my brother, we're at my mom's house again, just doing, literally just smoking meth in, the, in, the, in my bedroom. And my brother and his friends come over. And one of his friends. How many siblings do you have, Peter? What was it, your brother? And is that, what do you have as a family? Brother? Yeah, one, one brother and we're two years apart. He's two years younger than me. Okay. So, of course. All of his friends always want to hang out with me and be cool with me. So sure. they come over to my mom's house now, and one of his friends tells me that the Nelsons are out of town, and the Nelsons was the dude that was my best friend. And I, we haven't spoken since this whole thing happened. And they're the richest kids in all of Ahwatukee, spoiled rotten, like brand new Escalades. I mean, to this day, the dude doesn't have a job. Like my old best friend who's 37, like he doesn't, he still just uses his dad's credit card. Um, so just like spoiled rotten kids, you know? And uh, we they tell me that they're out of town and they just went, went there and burglarized the house. And I'm like, shut up. I'm like, where are they? They're like, they're in Hawaii. And I'm like, for how long? <clears throat> I forgot there was a, every spring break, they would go to Hawaii and they're so rich. Like the friends could take a friend every time, you know what I mean? Stay at the princess. Like, you know, the, it had to be a $50,000 Hawaii trip. Sure. Um, and so keep in mind, this house is already burglarized by five kids. <clears throat> me and my friends go back to the house. I don't make it out of the garage. Like, no joke. My mindset is, like, it's a twelve or 15,000-square-foot house. Like, they have a, a full indoor basketball court with their last name across half court. It's, it's like, you know, like, I don't know about your house in Nantucket, but it's like the stuff you see in the movies, you know? And um, so my plan was to take a bunch of stuff, and they won't even notice it's gone. You know what I mean? So I take a drill, a snowboard, a bunch of – and right outside the gym, they have, like, it's like a locker room thing with just, like, basketball jerseys and basketball shorts and yeah. – 
Jordans and Jordan sandals and stuff. So I just go right down. I take a bunch of Jordan sandals and Jordan basketball shorts and like literally the stuff that like the only way they would have noticed it is if like when Brandon went to go snowboarding, like, Yo, where is, where is <laughs> where's my, my stuff? But it's all the fleet. And while I'm in the garage, two of my friends come running in there like, we got all the jewelry. Let's go. Let's go. They have, of course, I, I, I didn't see them. Like I said, I didn't make it out of the garage. And they, of course, went straight upstairs and hit, hit, the, hit the jewelry in the master bedroom. And of course, there was a lot of money there and turned out to be $330,000 of the jewelry they had just sitting in oh their house. Oh, my God. Were, oh, yeah. Wow. I mean, one of the pairs of, pair of earrings was on in the magazine Rob Report. It was like a pair of $64,000, you know, and, and that's not even what they were wearing, though. Like, wow. And, and you can look up Todd Nelson. I mean, he was the second highest paid person in all of Arizona. And you know, like, he made like $59 million last year here. We're talking really rich. That's what I'm saying. Really, really rich. Like $10 million a month rich almost. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, didn't even... Um, and I go to prison for 12 years for that. All right. And so I want to, I want to walk us through that because you had been in trouble before, but yep. this, did this feel different? This one, when you went into the courtroom, here's the deal. I had been in trouble before and I, I, I kind of knew it because like I'd been in jail so many times at 18 years old. And like, I just, you kind of just figured out, I'm like, all right, whatever I get this. Once I got probation for stealing the Mercedes Benz, now I'm on probation. Mm -hmm. You kind of know if you violate probation with big felonies, you're going to go to prison probably, you know what I mean? And yeah. it's like, when I, I'll tell you, like when the cops arrested me on that, and or they, they didn't even arrest me on it because they couldn't prove anything to it. So they had just first questioned me and arrested me on a probation violation. And then I'm sitting in jail, and the next day I get woken up in jail to the lieutenant saying that the news channels are here to speak to me. Mm. Like, what the, I'm 18 years old, so, you know, I'm like, what is this? What does that mean? Right. And he's like, this channel is want to interview you. And I was like, for what? And he's like, TV. I was like, I, why do I have to do this? I'm like, what do you mean? I don't want to be interviewed on TV about this stuff. And he's like, no, but you have to sign a refusal saying that I do not wish to speak to the media and stuff like that. And I'm like, all right, yeah, because I definitely don't want to speak to the media. Mm -hmm. I was like, is this no? Well, if there's bigger cases. At least you're media, smart enough for that. Yeah. And um, I never forget, and I get on the phone with my uh, dad that day, and he's like, Saw you on TV today, Pete. I'm like, no way, really? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, I'm like, Dad, I don't know. I'm fucking sorry. You know what I mean? It's just, it is what it is, you know? And uh, I knew I was going to go to prison probably. You know what I'm saying? I, I knew like at that time, I knew. I well, was, like, Peter, <laughs> let, me, let me ask you though. Like when you had that conversation with your dad, like, that time period when you were getting in trouble and things were and because you had gone from a kid that was the most popular kid, your parents haven't changed. They're the same parents. How are your parents reacting to all this? Horrible. We had, I had no relationship with my dad. Just I lived with my mom and just rent, took advantage of her every single day of my life. Wow. I was like the worst. I'm like, that's why I'm like so good. Y'all like I, I hang out there every day now, you know, like I'm a straight mama's boy. And like, I'm like I'm still paying her back for what I did. For <laughs> I love know. that. I love that. Um, God, I got sidetracked even thinking about that. But yeah, it was, uh, it, it's, and so like I said, I, I knew I was, by then I knew I was going to prison, but I was, I'm trying to, I was done with my life. Like I, I, I didn't like life on the streets. I didn't like what I was doing. Yeah. And I figured maybe it is what it is with prison. Maybe I needed it. Like that's, that was living my mindset, you know, but I Why thought not? I was going to go away. I thought I was going to go away for a couple of years or two, three years, maybe, you know? Yeah. And, and then they throw a 12 or 10 I mean, like, like, like the flip of a switch, you know, I was going to get sentenced for four to six years. And I remember telling my, 
my lawyer verbatim. I'm like, dude, I cannot do freaking six years. Like, just promise me I'm not getting six years. That's all I care about. And the, I remember the judge's words where he did, and he says, I think this calls for an aggravated sentence of 12 years. And I remember thinking, like, he motherfucker, thinks. you think? <laughs> he thinks. <laughs> and, but it, it, it came out in the end that this judge had a thing for kids, man. And he didn't think that the kids' brains were matured until they were in their 30s. So that's what he did. 18 plus 12 years at 30 years old, he locked him up until I was 30. And then since then, the judge got banned out here in Arizona because he was too harsh on his sentences. But they didn't fucking resent me. I'll tell you, real fast forward real quick. Clemency, is, it's unheard of to get clemency out here in Arizona. I don't know if it is where it's your state is, but like nobody gets clemency, right? Like when I finally got applied for clemency, like seven years into my sentence, they had three straight days of hearings. Not one person made it to the second phase except me. And I'm not joking. I had all five people vote me to, to the next phase. Wow. The second phase, we go through and like I fly through with flying colors again. And everyone's like, their words to me were they're like, Mr. Meyer, I have to say that your sentence is excessive is an understatement. They're like, I don't even know how you're in prison doing a 12 year prison sentence for, the, for a burglary charge. But the fact that you can't stay out of trouble in prison and the fact that you're involved in prison politics, and are, you know, like I was a shock. I, was, I, was, I left the four yard that I was running to go do this, you know, clemency interview, you know? And uh, they're like, the fact that you can't stay out of trouble in prison is that there's no chance that we can put, like, because it's on them, they said. They're like, there's no way we're going to put it on us and let you out of there. And uh, so I sat in there for the next five years, you know, but I made it through with flying colors and every single person said I should have been out, but they're like, my prison record was so bad, though, like, there's no way we're letting this shoot out early. Well, let's, talk about, like, let's, let's talk about that, Peter, because I, I had my first bunk, my first bunkie was a uh, shot collar from Beaumont, and he had worked his, his points down. Um, to to the camp level yeah and i mean he i mean he was a he was a savior for me because when i came in is is he said you you don't look like you've been here before cassidy so we're gonna get you going and he he more or less spoke for me and 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 he he's he, uh his name's romo he's a great guy but um yeah walk me in peter to your world going from 18 year old kid going into the prison, you're 18, walking in, what's, what's your life? What's your world? What's your, what are you thinking? Yeah. I'll tell you. So like, I remember going, I remember my first bus ride, like it was yesterday. Right. So you go in this, it's my first time seeing a prison complex. I never, I never even driven by one or seen anything. All I'm going off is what it's like in the movies. Right. And we pull into this. And so I went to Tucson complex first, which is like, it's one of the bigger ones out here in Arizona. I think there's seven, yards in this one complex right so there's a huge perimeter gate around it and then in there is each different yard each yard has its own gates around it and stuff and i remember pulling in and i see dudes playing softball and basketball and i'm like like a breath of fresh air i was like all right whatever i mean maybe i can figure out how to fucking play softball and basketball <laughs> for 12 years all right like literally that's all i was looking at. i'm like whatever at least they're outside and they're playing sports yeah you know? yeah and we dropped a bunch of people off there and then we go to another yard. We dropped a bunch of people off and I'm the, of course the last yard. By the time we get to my yard, there ain't a dude walking in the yard and I'm like a fucking course. This is where I'm going, you know, but in my head, the whole thing, I'm like, I have no, no clue what's going to happen to me because even then, like you meet a bunch of dudes in the County jail, you know, and they all go to prison. So you think you're going to know all these dudes. You know, exactly. but I was like, no dudes in Minnesota you don't go away for over a decade. You know what I mean? So like right. I all that shit, you know what I'm saying? Like, and I went from like, thinking that to like I'm not gonna see any of you fools unless you guys get in trouble and go to a high yard. You know what exactly. I mean? Because I'm going I'm going to a lockdown yard probably, you know, with all that time. Yeah. So like I bypassed all that shit and I remember thinking like, fucking here we go, you know? And I remember walking that first night at Chow 
and, and I'm an alpha male, like a networker, you know what I'm saying? Like I was in the county jail, bro, running, running pods and stuff the whole time, even as an 18, 19 year old kid, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I always say the same thing. Like you could throw me in the freaking mountains in Afghanistan and before you know, I'm going to be running shit in Afghanistan. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just who I am, you know? And, uh, but I, that's what I talk about. You know, everybody's got to hone in on what they're good at. That's what I'm good at. You know what I'm saying? I'm not good with other stuff, but that's, I, I got friends that are good with that stuff. Yeah. Well, networking's a big deal in the world. Yeah. Especially nowadays, you know, yeah. um, you can do anything on social media. Yes. So I remember walking that, walking that, uh, back from Chow and this is the first time I'm like, dude, I, I am like a nobody, nobody, like nobody even notices me here. No one gives a shit if I was here. Like I could not come out to Chow tomorrow. No one even noticed, you know, I have no family. I'm in another city, like halfway across the state. And I was like, how am I going to do this? Like literally, I remember thinking like, how the fuck am I going to do 12 years like this? Yeah. And I'm good at reading, reading situations and stuff. You know, that's another one of my things that I feel like I'm really good at. I, I could just tell that I didn't know what, what, what it was back at the pod that I lived in, but I could tell that no one respected me or like really gave a fuck about me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I was probably thinking I had, you know, I had long blonde hair. I was a little pretty boy. I was six foot, 144 pounds. When I got locked up. So I did not look like this, you know? No, you look a lot different now, Peter. <laughs> yeah. I got out of four. Um, but so I ended up, and I remember hearing like about people like starting fights in the county jail, just like get some respect or something like that. And my neighbor did not like me at all. And I didn't like him, you know, and he, he was who I was at the end of my sentence. He had been down there forever. You know, he'd be up at five thirty in the morning working out all, every day. And I, I'm sleeping until 10, 11 o'clock, whenever I was allowed to sleep until, you know, and, uh, he was just a bitter old man. You know, and I didn't, I didn't blame him at the end of my sentence. That's who I was. You know? mm-hmm. And, but I made it a, I made a, made it a point to, pick a fight with this dude man and he's the first dude that told me you know if you think you're gonna get into anything but you sucker punch you know there's no fair fights in prison you know like all right cool i bet he never thought i was gonna use that on that thing on him you know but i did you know and i said something to him and he made some little smart ass comments to me and told me he was gonna take take the chew out of his mouth and like fucking teach me a lesson or something you know and he turns around to take the chew out of his mouth and i'm just on top of him you know and just i don't he never even landed a punch like just i was on top of him the entire time they end up pulling me off him. We go to lockdown, and I, I think even then, him, like, he gained a little respect. Because, like, bro, I used to box, too. So, like, I was 160 pounds by then, dude. I got hands, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, we, all, we had on lockdown for, like, a half a day. And then the next day, I got the chow, and it's like, dude, everyone in the yard wants to talk to me. Because I'm like, this dude, is, I was 160 pounds, and this dude was my size, you know, double my Big size. Big guy, yeah. Yeah, and uh, now these OGs are coming up to me, like, yo, youngster, what's your name? This and that. And I'm like, all right, I can do this now, you know? And then, of course, the dude running the yard wants to talk to me and ask me if I want to start putting in work. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, if you explain what the fuck that means, I might be down. You know what I mean? Right. And he explains what it is. And I was like, yes, I'm in. You know what I'm saying? As long as you guys are going to keep liking me and I'm going to get some respect and stuff like that, I'm a thousand percent in, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what started my, you know, road on there in prison. I just, it turned me into a, just an angry, bad dude. And I love the attention and respect it got from beating people up. And I was uh, not a nice dude, man. So did that ever change while you were in, Peter? I mean, no, like, not. did did your world was it always kind of violent, and you were on top yep. of the world? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, I was my last ten months that I was in. I was in solitary confinement under investigation for another attempt to murder before I got out. You know, and I got out from that under that investigation. So my last ten months in solitary confinement. I don't know if I'm going back to the county jail and never going home again, or if I'm fucking going home. You know, and 
it's a miracle that dude lived, you know, and that's just some, they try to get me for calling the shot on some dude that got his throat split and eyes stabbed out, you know? Um, so what, what was it like for you? Because, you know, the shot collar uh, carries a whole different feel and respect and vibe on, in the prison world. What did, how, well, first of all, how long did it take for you to become that person? Um, I ran my first yard when I was 23 and I ran a four yard at 23 years old, man. Wow. Yeah, I was a, you know, it's crazy. Like, and I didn't believe in God anymore, really. And I'm like, the whole thing's God now because like, it's, 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 and it's so crazy to think and people will never understand this. I don't think, but like, as shitty as my life wasn't as shitty and crazy as it is to get a 12 year prison sentence for the crime I got and all that stuff. Like, and I went through the worst of the worst prison sentences. Like, I got towards the end of my sentence. I was a shock caller. I'm not joking. Like my mom was on the phone with central office every day. Like, my last two and a half years, I got moved 17 times. Like, literally, CDU the yard per month. Another CDU the yard per month. Like, no joke like that. When I was in solitary confinement for the last 10 months, was the longest stretch I had stayed steady for years, you know? But as crazy as that is, like, I feel like everything else was just, like, it was destiny. Like, I was meant to, and, and I can't even believe I'm saying this, but, like, I, I legit feel like I was, it was, I was destined to be a prison shot caller, and everything just worked out in my favor. You know what I'm saying? Like I just got, I got bumped up with the dude that was like triple OG, just like you did. You know, it's, yeah. it's all like who's going there. Like you could, your whole prison sense could have been a night and day con- contrast difference. Right. If you didn't get, exactly. if you didn't live next. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. it's much as like I said, it was shitty. Like the political aspect of it, I felt like every domino fell in the perfect sense. And like, by the time I'm 23 years old, I'm running around. I was literally, I remember thinking like, damn, of course I think I'm not already running a fucking four yard. You know what I mean? And, by that time, I was, you know, I was in a full-on relationship with a property officer. I pulled the property cop right and pulled up on the yard, and like I had, I had the shit on lock, bro. I'm a 23 year old kid, bro. That's really something. Yeah, because I mean, and you so even, like, I mean, at 23, you had uh, seven more years, right? Yeah, dude. I'm like, and I'm not joking. I'm on a four yard. I'm we're drinking comethazine with syrup, like smoking blunts in my cell. Like I got my homies. Literally, I'm getting hit girlfriend's underwear delivered to him for his cell. So he has his girlfriend's songs in there and shit like that. Like, I mean, I'm not even eating prison food. Like my mom would come up to visit on the weekend and drop off a whole plate to the CO. And every day she would bring in whatever the hell that my mom had made for the week. Like I'm like, you're like the modern day red from, uh, from Shawshank. Um, You know what's funny? Yeah. How I got on, I think that's how I got on Vice TV because they had saw, I got interviewed on a, on a, the Fresh Out series yeah. about that story, and it had like almost a million views or something. And then after <laughs> that, a producer reached out to me and did that, they did that TV show about me. So, Peter, did you have um, did you have like a prison job or anything? Like, what was your day like in there with being the guy at this at the top of the chain? For the most part, it's like when you're on a four yard, you, you pretty much go there and tell them like, "This is the job I want. I need to be out of my cell," or you know what I'm saying, and like. Four, four yards are a lot more cool than like, I never even, I never spend time on a minimum security Expl- yard. Yeah. Explain the um, four yard. Cause people listening here, they, they, you're, you've, they don't even know. Maximum security. Like if they call it closed custody, it's, it's, you still only get, you get three days of rec period a week, three showers a week, either Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. And the other days, like you don't leave yourself to walk to shower to escorted single file line with gun towers. And everything. It's real lockdown. It's, yeah. It's one step below maximum security yeah. and maximum security single cell five by seven 24 hour day lockdown five by seven yeah five, like you that's can, like the size of a closet couldn't even do a push-up next to your bed 
Yeah, that's that's you know we when I worked myself into the suburbs, I was in an eight by ten cell, and I felt like I had worked my way into you know paradise. Five by seven, good lord! You, I mean, you bird bath and you're half your bed soaking wet. Like that's how small it is. Man, and I'm claustrophobic. And claustrophobic, you know, like, no shit. Oh, full blown claustrophobic, dude. Full blown. <laughs> Like I get anxiety even thinking about like small faces and stuff. Like no joke. But that's what I talk about. Like you don't like, and that's people. What people are so like weak about out here in the world is like we all think we can't accomplish shit, but yeah. like we don't know that we we fucking try. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I would have told myself there's no way I could sit in that time in a cell or whatever. Like you know what I mean? But like until I'm thrown in, then you have to you have to get through it. And then you realize, holy shit, my mind can do some things for me that I didn't think it could do. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, and it's, it is all mindset. You know, one of my favorite quotes is, is the old Henry Ford quote that says, whether you think you can or think you can't, you're right. Because, yep. you know, you everybody, and you start seeing this stuff, you know, you see it in prison, but you see it when you get out, is that people really do build up prisons in their own mind, and they get into these really nasty situations, bad marriage, bad job, bad health crisis, whatever that is, and that routine becomes a thing that they, they get locked into that they can't step out of and they don't think they can. And, you know, yeah, the, the sure. whole thing that you're talking about, Peter, is just stepping out of it. And and even if it scares the shit out of you, go ahead and do it because your mind has so many things that it can do. You know, I always tell people nothing is as bad as your mind makes it out to be, not even prison. Seriously, what's the worst that can happen? It's not, if you don't do it, then no. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Yes. That's like that model in life. How you're like, I'll ask anybody for anything, like not for anything, but like if I need to like try and make a business connection or whatever, like I'm not scared to ask the, the like if I run into Donald Trump, I'm approaching him and asking. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. If you don't ask, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, why not? What's the worst thing that could happen? No. What is the worst <laughs> happen is the worst thing that can happen is you don't ask. Right. And sometimes when they you say know? that, sometimes when they say no, they just might not have enough information yet. You know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> But you know what I've noticed more than anything is like there's a there's a really good chance probably Donald Trump's got a got a nephew or a sibling or something like that that has a like a drug addiction problem too. Oh, and yeah. there's a chance that I can fire him and then I have an actual connection to Donald Trump forever. Well, and I mean if you're talking about Donald Trump, I mean he's only one step removed from his his daughter who's Jared Kushner's whose dad went to prison for five years. You know, that, yeah. that that's pretty close in the family of understanding I mean, I, the, the prison world. A couple of the biggest law firms out here in Arizona right now. I'm literally helping both their sons get sober. Like literally, one of them I got him off the streets and into treatment. And like, these are big, big time lawyers out here. Like it affects everybody. You know what yeah. I mean? And you never know until, you, until you're outspoken about it. And that's why, like I was so scared to talk about my past and so embarrassed about how shitty I was as a human and like so embarrassed that like my life was nothing. I didn't have anything and like I just hid my past for everybody. And then I realized like fucking helps people. You know what I'm saying? Because there's people that go through little bad things out here and they think they can't always accomplish them. Yeah. And then once I can tell them just a portion of my story. They're like, holy fuck. You maybe know what I, mean? I could like, do a little bit of something, right? Yeah, right. So do you think maybe just tomorrow you can try and make a change? You know what I mean? So, Peter, what point? at what point did you make – because it sounds like when you were in, you were in. I mean, you were – I mean, really in. When did the mind change? Because when you got out, you, you were a, a, a force for good. So what, what happened? I'll tell you, so this is another God thing. Like my prison sense was just perfect because I did nothing but politic and like, like literally just like did 
bad things to bad people though. You know what I'm saying? Like we're not when that when that dude got his throat said he was a shitty human being. Like he was a, he was literally a rapist. You know what I'm saying? So those like and I'll firm to the dad that those dudes, not, dudes do not deserve to be around, you know, like but I went to the whole the last ten months, not only that, like I was such a psychopath. Just to show you how screwed up my mind was Let's talk about that though too, because I mean go when you say you went to the hole for ten months, I saw people that went to the hole for two months and came out looking different. I mean, oh, yeah. what, 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 how did you, I mean, I think this is something that's got to be interesting to people who are listening to this, your world in that hole. Can you, can you walk us into that hole, the shoe? Yeah. It's, uh, you, I mean, just like I said, you, you deal with yourself. And by that time I had learned how to, no joke, talk to myself, talk myself through situations when I would get like a lot of times when I'd get thrown in another cell, like the second that door would close, I would have like anxiety attacks, panic attacks, you know? But by this time, I had learned that they're going to go away, you know, and you can talk yourself off a ledge really quick. And I, to me, I mean, it sounds like, I don't know if it sounds crazy or cliche, but like, I, I literally just got like really good at talking to myself through these situations, you know? And then I realized that like, I could talk myself into believing shit, you know what I'm saying? So like, I went to the whole, that time, I, I walked into the entire situation, how, how it goes, how, how I know how this shit goes, right? So this fool supposedly gets murdered, right? Like they split his throat stab his eyes out like bad dad right and the next day i'm like when this happens and i'm on a yard at this time and i'm like i already have my whole shit packed up i know i'm probably going to the whole patrol shot on somebody or whatever it is you know or even if it wasn't for that they would say like this well like, you have the power to stop it and you didn't stop it you know which is what they used on me there so by the and then like it was so weird because nothing happened then like breakfast we know we're locked down they come bring us they come bring breakfast by and then they say, stand by for chow for lunch in the afternoon. I was like, there's no way we're just going to lunch in the afternoon right now. You know, like there was just cop cars on the yard, you know? And I was like, I guarantee you, you're just waiting for me by the chow hall. Because when you go to the chow hall in this yard, it's like all the way at the chow hall. It's like right here. There's a gun tower right here. And then SCU's office right there. By the, and I call it. Like by the time we get almost directly to the chow hall, they come popping out of their door. And they don't even call me by my room. They're like, they're chappy, come here. And I was like, I told you guys. And I'm not joking, bro. I went in there. And probably the most scared I've ever been in my life. Cause I feel like everything is like, it clicked really, it just clicked. I was like, holy fuck, I fucked up this time. You know, like we were talking about before, mm-hmm. like this was the one time I was like, holy shit, you know, but I'm so on drugs and like, so like, I didn't even think about it. Like, I was strung out, you know, I was, I was like 175 pounds, you know, like shooting dope every day, running the prison yard, you know, mm-hmm. just like the prototypical stereotype fucking loser prison, dude, you know? And, um, so I walk in there and there's, I'm not joking. There's 17 dudes in this place and there's only a couple people wearing CO outfits and everything. Everybody else wearing suits and ties and shit. And I'm like, Oh my God. You know what I mean? And they put me on this little stump in the middle of this room in front of everybody. bro. Like it's like a little stool that they put their feet on and they're like, have a seat. And they're like, you want to tell us what happened in building one last night? And I'm like, sure. You guys know, don't you? And they're like, um, yeah. So you want to tell us, what your involvement was with it. And I'm like, no comment. I'm going home in a year. That's what I told them. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, that's, that's weird. That, so you, are you trying to tell us that something like that would just happen on your yard and you just know nothing about it? And I'm like, all I'm saying is I'm going home in a year and I'm trying to get out of the prison politics. So 1000% I'm not trying to be involved in anything that's going on anymore. And they literally just pretty much tell me like, congratulations, you fucking screwed up your release date. Like you don't have to worry about going home anymore. Mr. Don't worry. You just blew that. And they throw me in solitary, like from that meeting to solitary. Confinement. Straight to solitary. Yeah, they shackled me up right there. I don't even go back to my cell. They literally put me in a cage right there and then shackled me up and put me right in CDU. So I go from them threatening me, telling me I'm done. And I don't even know, 
they say the guy lived and thank God, I mean, I got goosebumps right now. Thank God that you live, man. Because if he doesn't live, I'm like, no, you're still in. And here's the deal. I couldn't even talk about it because there's no statute of limitations now on uh, stuff that's not murders or rapes and stuff like that. Like this fool, like, anyways, he, he magically lived because he was supposed to live because I was destined to do all this shit. And the reason I was supposed to have such a shitty prison story is because I can get now get through to anybody on a prison yard. You know what I'm saying? Like I can get through to the shock callers in the Aryan Brotherhood on prison yards now. You know what I'm saying? Like, yep. I, and not that I'm one with them, but I am one with no, them. No, you, you have the whole them. street cred or respect. Absolutely. So, so shitty, but so perfect in that aspect because it's going to make such a difference in the world. I honestly feel like that. Like, just like the Bible says, like, you're never going to be put in a situation that you can't handle. Like, I'm a fucking tough dude. You know what I'm saying? And I can handle that shit. I wasn't that tough when I went in there, but I learned, you know what I'm saying? Because I coached myself mentally. And I realized that if I couldn't get through a situation, it's because I told myself I couldn't get through a situation. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. that's literally it. Like, I just learned that from doing a lot of talking to yourself. I mean, it sounds like to me that when you went into that solitary confinement, that you talked your way through it. I went in that and I was like, if I make it out of here, this is my chance at life. Like, no joke. I'm like, so I, I, when they finally, I'm at the time, like at first I'm like thinking, who knows what's going on. But after like a little bit of time goes, I'm like, damn, they are really going to leave me in here. You know what I mean? And then I, as you come by a few months later, I finally was, and I remember telling him like, by this time it's been a few months, you know? And I'm like, Hey, like, you guys can't expect me to get out of prison after 12 years from this cell and, like, make it on the street. You know what I mean? Like, literally, I'm, like, oh, like man to man. Like, I'm not, this isn't, like, Chappie talking as I'm shocked. Like, I'm, like, at this point, I was literally begging for my life. Like, I've calmed down now. You know, I've yeah. put my weight on. I've been for a few months. I'm, like, and they knew that. SSU knew when I was strung out when I wasn't strung out, too. You know what I mean? I'm, like, looking, I'm healthy. I'm, like, please let me go out on the yard. You know what I mean? Right. And they literally verbatim. They're, like, Myra, we're done with you out here. Like, literally, we're going to let their streets have their luck. Like, we're done with you. Like, you're going to sit here until you go home. And it's what saved my life. You know what I mean? It, it literally did because I think I would have still got right back into the prison politics and who knows what I would have done if I would have got out. I mean, I remember thinking that I was like, I remember thinking I'm struggling. I'm like, dude, I'm under a year to go. I'm like, when am I going to get off drugs? You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. but I couldn't, you know, I literally couldn't stop. I almost lost my arm, but a year and a half to the gate, like literally almost lost my arm. When I got back to medical, the doctor told me, he goes, oh my God. He goes, I am shocked your arm's still here. He goes, I thought for sure you're going to have one arm. Through an infection? Yeah, from yeah. shooting dope. Right? Yeah, this stuff, yeah. I saw. I saw that. You know, we had staff. Yeah, it's, it's ugly when all that shit happens. You well, well so, some guys got staff for getting tattoos. Yeah, and then I get back from the from medical right there, and I swear I'm done. I'm done with drugs. I'm done with all this. I almost lost my arm. You know what I mean? And I'm I'm not on the yard an hour, and I'm already getting high again. You know, and I remember that night vividly, like it was yesterday. I remember getting high, and at first I'm like, oh, all right, there we go. Thank God, because I was still dope sick from being in the hospital. You know. And I finally better than I go lay on my little bunk and I'm like, I'm never going to fucking be able to quit using drugs. You know what I mean? I was literally thinking, I was like, I'm never going to be able to get off this shit, you know? And so, like I said, all that happened and as shitty as it was, like it saved my life, you know? So I got in there and the whole time I'm thinking, because I've been in there 12 years now and I haven't even made somewhat of a game plan of what the fuck I'm going to do when I get That's you know what, what I was going to ask you. Like, you're getting close to the door. What were you thinking? My only mindset is it's a coin toss if I ever make it out of here. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And if I make it out, I'll figure it out when I get out. That's, my, that's what I'm telling myself. All I got to do is get out of prison, you know, because now I'm worrying about this case. And, you know, I, I get out and I would, I thought by the time I got out, you know, like uh, my goals, like literally my goals. I, and it was like, this is like, I've made it if I do this. It's like somehow just get a job, like literally probably construction or something, but I just got to get a job and I got to figure out how to stay sober and live a boring ass life, but like be okay living a boring life. And at least I'm not in prison. That was like, that was, was your like, goal. 
That's all I got to do. You know what I mean? I, I had no clue I could make money. I had no clue I could be sober and happy. I had no clue like I, the the urge to drink and use drugs would ever go away. I didn't think it was possible. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like I'm such a, and I don't brag about this at all, but I, I do this to like tell people like that when that people that think they got it bad, like if there's a, a scale of, and I, and I firmly believe this, my sponsor in the program would argue, argue with me till he's blue in the face of this. But like there's different levels of degrees of addicts. You know what I'm saying? And sure. like if there's, it's a one to 10 scale. I'm a hundred, like no joke. Like I'm, I am as bad as it gets. And the fact that I can like have six and a half years sober now and haven't even contemplated drinking or using like. It's incredible willpower and mind and mind power. I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's, that's to me, it's incredible. Well, when you finally got out of there, I mean, are you telling me that you did 10 months in the hole and they just, they released you to be free? I was, it was so bad. I just shared the story in a podcast the other day. This is how different my mindset was. I get out from there. Yeah, straight directly. I go from, I, they don't even let me walk to the release thing. I'm walking shackled up. Everybody else gets to like walk right there. I have an escort with three COs and shackled to my release gate. God, that's unbelievable, Peter. Literally. And then I've even never, this, I've never even heard of that, that they release somebody that way. Oh yeah. 1000%. Like, and I'm like, and I, I remember telling them that when they came to give me to myself, and I'm like, you guys are going to shackle up right now? And they're like, they're like, we don't care if you're going home. Like, you have to be in shackles as long as you're on this property. So, like, that's what they did. And listen to this. This is how screwed up my mind was. I'm getting out with, so I just greeted my mom, my dad, my brother, all of them for the first time ever. You know, yeah, I think I that saw way. that video. I think that's on somewhere on, on yeah. camera. Yeah. When you, you so get out that day, yeah. Yeah, we, there's a big perimeter fence around that. This is the Buckeye Complex. So then we go to drive through the last one. I just get out of them in the front seat. My dad hands him my paper to showing him who I am, my release, all that stuff. He goes like kind of hand it back, and I'm not even joking. I like snatch it out of my dad's hand, like all like like shady, like you know what I mean. I'm like, what the hell is this, you know? And they get out of here, and there's a fucking paperclip that he left on the thing. And like my mindset is still, I'm like, a paperclip gold installs here to buy me, you know what I mean? So I'm like, oh my god, he didn't see that. And like my reaction is just to snatch the shit out of my dad's lap, and I'm with my family now, you know? And I remember looking at this, and I like look. I remember this like it was yesterday. I look back. And I look at my mom and my brother and like instantly it clicked. I was like, oh, fuck, that looks real bad. You know what I mean? <laughs> and seriously, and they're like, what the hell are you doing? I was like, you have no idea how much like gold this paper clip is. You know what I'm saying? And it was just gold for me an hour ago. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I always wanted to listen to Tom Petty when I got out, that free falling song. Like that was my stop. You know, if I ever heard that in prison on the radio, I would cry every time. And I bullshit you not, man. The we, we second we get out there, we hit a gas station. I buy $32 of candy bubble gum and energy drinks. I never had an energy drink before. And um, free falling is the first thing that comes on right when we hit the freeway. And yeah. like, I, like I said, the rest of my life was just destiny, you know? And then I had an overdose when I got out. And I died and like God saved my life with this thing. You know what I'm saying? Like I was supposed to be another fentanyl. Well, well, like, well, being that, I, I, it's very rare to get to talk to somebody who's in that long that they get out. Like what was the biggest thing that you noticed that was different than when you went in? everything man like i went away with a nokia phone with a snake on them mm-hmm. i get out we got flat tvs and iphones and stuff you know and i went away from living with my mom and dad to like i'm now I'm supposed to be a 30 year old productive member of society you know yeah. what I'm i've never you're an adult at home. yeah and i like so, yeah and then not only that like yeah figure it out you know what i mean and i'm still pale white from being in solitary confinement like i got out of prison pale white with you probably look like death being in there you don't go outside i'll, I'll send you some of my pictures later but like i don't need to post whatever because like the pictures of my release, like my teeth are yellow. I look horrible. Oh, man. Yeah. 
Okay, so um, Peter, you you hit the, I, the I, what I think is so fascinating about your story is is that you figured out how to make it work for you on the inside there and and really come to the top of the heap. But then getting back out into society is not easy. Um, it's not something that I I think the only people that can understand that is people who have been in prison because I think a, a, a strange thing happens is that people look at you when you get out of prison and they think, oh my God, he, he should be so excited. And you are. You couldn't be any more excited. But all these other things go on in your mind like, oh, I'm an ex- I'm an ex-convict. Does everybody look at me as an ex-convict? Uh, what am I going to do? Am I going to get a job? Is anybody going to give me a job? All these things start spinning. How do I fit back into society? Are the people looking at me weird? All those things are spinning. And I think it takes you a little bit of time just to try and get your feet under you. Like, okay, I feel, okay, it's me. It's me. It's me. How, how did that work for you? That's exactly what it is. You know, that's all I say. Like, and that's, dude, that's ultimately why, why I walked away from all the money I was making in my career. You know what I mean? Like, it's all about just getting some confidence and knowing that it's possible. You know what I'm saying? Like, and it, for me, it was just like, it was seeing other people do it. You know what I mean? Like seeing like, and maybe it's just how I think, but like, I, here's the deal. Like I'll go out to Paradise Valley here in Arizona, which is like by far the most expensive zip code, like hands down. You know what I mean? And there's like five, 10, $20 million trips everywhere. And I look at all those houses and just the other day I was doing it. Cause like I do that and like I visualize stuff. And I'm like, maybe this is one of my gifts, but I look at those houses and I'm like, there's fucking no chance in the world that there can be that many of those big ass houses and I'm not going to find a way to get one. That's how I think of shit. You know what yeah, I'm saying? I like, love it though. That's a, that's a great I'm mindset though. House, and there's no way that door's going to out hustle me. Not, you that's know, right. You, know, you might have to for me, but that's all you're going to outdo. Yeah, he puts you know his pants saying? on the same way. 100%. Yeah. But like, but I just, you just have to see it. And then I, so like what it is, I just saw a bunch of dudes that I knew weren't hustlers out here making money. And I'm like, just fucking, there's no way. So, uh, let me tell you real quick when I got out of prison and like I, this thing in the worst part about my story, I'll tell you how I like when I died and then that, that's when I started making money. Like, so I get out, I'm 30 years old, never been on a date, even never been to a bar. Of course, I know I'm a drug addict and I should be in a recovery program, but keep in mind, I'm 39 years old and I've never even been to a bar. You know right. what I mean? They're, 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 I'm of course entitled to do that. Right, and not only things that, that you want to do. Exactly. It's a checklist. You know yeah. what I mean? Like literally I, all my college days and all that stuff, you know, like yeah. I should have been a top college you athlete, all. drinking right. party school I wanted to, you know. Get it. And um, instead, I got to watch my, you know, old teammates on TV that weren't even as good as me playing. You know what I mean? And that's just the begin. I remember watching my first yard, and I was like, "Oh my god, I still have ten more years to do." You know what I mean? Yeah. And so this this another thing that I struggled with in recovery, and it didn't work until I just finally like threw the towel in on it. But like. I never thought I was like an alcoholic drinker, if that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. I'm a full-blown drug addict, but like, I don't drink like an alcoholic. Like, I never drank by myself. I never like, I didn't have alcohol in my house. Like, I just love to party. And when I party, I can't say no. And if I'm blacked out, I'm going to say yes to drugs and drugs and drugs. So, I'm, I, so this is what I'm doing now. I'm five, five or six days a week. I'm literally at the bar, just drinking, running through women. Just that's all I'm doing. And I'm like, this is pretty cool. You know, mm-hmm. what I mean? like freedom's good. I can do. <laughs> I can do this, right? And then, of course, lo and behold, I get a dude that weighs 130 pounds and wants to start running his mouth at a bar, and I'm drunk, and I throw a beer in his face instead of, and that's my mindset. Like, to change me is, like, I just threw a beer in his face instead of punching him in the face. You know what I mean? And, like, out here in the streets, that's still assault. You know what I mean? If you throw a piece of paper at someone and they don't want to throw it at them, that's assault. Exactly. So I learned that. So then they put me on max security parole, and I'm like, 
oh my god all right I, like what am i doing you know what i mean like this is it i gotta figure it out right but i don't want to stop drinking like i'm having so much fun with this you know and i'm just gonna watch now you know what i mean and like okay i get it now i can't throw now i'm now i'm like all right i, I know i can't throw beer at anybody or anything like this whatever <laughs> I'll, I'll, just, do I'll, that. <laughs> I'll figure it out but the last thing i'm gonna do is stop drinking right now you know right. and I remember it was a buddy's birthday party. It was like a Friday afternoon, man. And literally in the afternoon, and the last thing I remember doing was a shot of Rumpelman. And I got in touch. I don't even I don't even know how I got in touch with him, but one of my old prison dudes, man, and somehow I ended up leaving this bar. I don't even remember leaving the bar. Um, next thing I remember is I wake up in an ambulance. And I'm like, I come to him, I'm like, what the Fuck! I'm like strapped in this ambulance with like knee. You like, don't even know what shit. happened. You're just in an ambulance. Zero clue. The last thing I can remember is being at the bar, and I'm like, first thing is I got in a bar fight. But I'm like, if I got in a fight, why the fuck am I in an ambulance? You know what I'm saying? I'm thinking like, fuck, I must have got jumped or something. There's no chance. <laughs> Big sucker punch. <laughs> yeah, like there's no way I'm gonna get beat up out here on the on the street. So I'm just whooping dudes, you know. And, uh, I go to the dude and I was like, what the fuck am I doing in here? And he's like, you overdosed. And I remember, like, this is I told him, I don't even use drugs anymore. Yeah. He's like, I did today. And I remember, like, and I, I literally remember, I just, like, put my head back, and I'm like, what a fucking loser I am. Like, literally, like, the biggest, and I'm no joke. At this time, like, I, now I talk to myself. And I'm yeah. like, you fucking biggest loser on the fucking face of the earth. Like, you literally deserve to die. Like, no joke. And I'm like, tell myself, like, why the is this your this rock? Bo- like, is this your rock bottom? Is this it? This is it. This point and like it's so rock bottom i don't even want to try to get out of my body i'm like you're a fucking loser and like literally i'm like why didn't i just die like literally like why the fuck couldn't i just die and like yeah. at least when they committed suicide because i feel like there's always the pussy ass cop out way but i always wanted to kill myself right and then out of myself they're like why the fuck did i survive and i overdosed and relapsed again and i'm like who am I, how am i going to tell people that i just you know what i mean like yeah. started using yeah. Drugs. yeah no i get it and i get to the hospital and i remember and i remember hearing my but of course me now i'm this big prison stockholder too of course and i'm like I'm not going to tell anybody in my family. I'm going to get out of this hospital, hopefully, and whatever, you know, and hide it from my parole officer. And I remember hearing my little brother in the hallway on the phone with my dad. And I'm like, and I yell, Matt. And I, I hadn't even talked to him at this point. And I was like, fuck, what are you? And of course, why are you fucking telling dad? And he's like, you almost fucking died. Do you like know? And I was like, I don't have any idea what happened. Like literally no one's telling me what happened. And then, the doctor comes in and he tells me, he's like, I was dead when they found me. Like, literally, <clears throat> no heartbeat, no nothing. And um, by the time they got me to the hospital, my heart was only beating six beats a minute. Wow. The, the doctor said I'm the only person to ever survive in this condition that he's seen. And I, lay, I remember laying back in the hospital bed and I even have even worse, more like survivor's guilt. You know, like, why the fuck did I survive this? You know, like, not only do I feel guilty for him, but I'm like, why? You know what I mean? Like, I, at this point, I don't believe God's doing it. If God's doing it, he clearly doesn't give a fuck about me. You know what I'm saying? Like, why would he all of a sudden save my life here? When I was like, I was dead. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I'm dead from fentanyl. Like, those people don't survive from those cases. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, they do. Right. But God saved my life to do this mission I'm on. And, like, it's so crazy. I remember, like, it was, like, literally with, like, my mindset, and this is why I'm such a mindset person, like, within two seconds, my mindset switched in there, and then, like, I just kept the fucking pedal on the metal like the next day and I never, I still haven't let off. But like, I go from thinking, it's, it's hard to even explain, but I go from laying in that bed thinking like, I can't even look at my brother and my mom. We were like literally like sitting next to me. You know what I'm saying? I'm just like, look at this. Too, like, I just want to die. Mm-hmm. And then like, 
something comes over me, I'm like, I'm gonna figure this shit out. Like literally, all right, I'm I'm done. I'm I'm literally gonna do this. And I remember just telling myself, I'm like, all right, I'm done making excuses. Mm-hmm. Fuck the alcohol. Even if I'm even if I'm like not the full blown alcoholic, whatever. It is what it is. I'm done with the alcohol. Like I haven't even had a chance at life, and I'm 31 years old now. You know, like so. I just told myself, like, I'm done making excuses. I'm actually gonna try and like do different. And I'm like, not just gonna be a pussy and cop out with shit. Just use this prison as an excuse. And like. The next day I decided to, and I went to a fucking meeting, you know, and I, I literally went to, I think 150 meetings, like my first 90 days, you know, I had no job. I had no, I had no idea how to stay sober. I had no money, no job. And all I did was went to recovery meetings, you know, and, uh, then fucking someone gave me a job selling cars, you know, selling and cars. Fucking, I bet you were good at selling cars. <laughs> I murdered shit, man. I mean, I, I made, I made, I went from never having a job my entire life to making 10 grand my second month ever working. Yep. And. I'm like, I remember I get my first bonus check. It was like 3,900 bucks or something after taxes. And I'd already got paid the week before. And, I, and here's the deal. Like I could a bunch of prison time, but I was never like no baller on the streets. Like I was a fucking thief. You know what I mean? Like that was instantly the most money I'd ever had in my life. And I'm a 31 year old adult, you know? Yeah. But it, it just, it set the switch off me. And I'm like, once I saw that I could make money, I knew it was over with. And I just like switched my addiction, man. From that became your addiction. Yeah. To a money, you know what I'm saying? And then like, I made, you know, 10, 15 grand a month, you know, and I get, I'm in finance in 13 months, bro. Like I'm in, I stole a Mercedes Benz from Mercedes Benz Chandler dealership. I have every step charge in the world you can imagine. And then within 13 months, I'm a finance manager at a huge car dealership in Scottsdale. And like, I'm one of three guys with a key to the safe at this dealership. Yep. And I'm making 200 grand plus a year yep. with a car, still on parole. Yeah. I, my last, with my parole officer, I pulled up in my brand new, I remember I financed 84,753. I financed an $85,000 truck. My payment was eleven eighty nine a month and I'm two years out of prison. That's cool. And the biggest thing why shit started going for me though was because I stayed sober. And I always remember this, as long as I stayed sober and kept my sobriety in check, like everything else would fall into place. You know, I'm like, I just, I just can't give up anymore. You know what I'm saying? Like if I give up, I'm dead. You know what I mean? And like, yeah. finally I had to dumb it down for myself like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, if I choose to be weak and go drink again or relapse, you could die. I don't have, I'm dead. You know what I'm saying? Like God saved my life to do this mission. And it's, it's just, well, like my last year in the car biz, like I was, did I just made 41 grand in April? And that's clearly not, I mean, like now it's not money to like where my goals are. You know what I'm saying? But like coming out of prison, like it's that's huge. astronomical. Oh, it's like, huge. yeah, like it was making a year, you know? But, and, uh, Peter, don't you think it's kind of interesting though, how, cause I had my own rock bottom moment, but you know, Sometimes when you hit that rock bottom, because a lot of people don't know, like, oh, my God, I hope I never hit rock bottom, which I hope most people don't. But hitting rock bottom can be a new beginning that actually makes everything clear. You got clarity. You know, you 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 either have death or you have uh, your future that looks a lot different. If you watch my uh, look at my reel and I posted my clip yesterday with Brody Kern that was on my show, we said the same thing. I was like. And he said it's fucking perfect, right? I don't know if you know Brody Cumber. You should follow him and get him on your show because he is badass. And he says, like, he's like, the same thing in me that'll make me drink myself to, the, to death is yeah. the same fucking thing in me that I make millions with yeah. as long as I learn how to flip that switch. It's the same switch. You know what I'm saying? We all got the shit in switching, flipping that switch and figuring it out. So you go in and you start doing this and then, and then when do you, when do you decide that you want to go in and start talking to people going back into the prisons and, and being in that world again? What's crazy. And it came out of me like over, like overnight, man. Like I, I just had April was my best month of my career working as a finance writer. I made 41 grand 
And then I just, I felt selfish, honestly, though, man. Like I, I had, I wasn't doing anything to help people. You know, I was just stacking up money, just buying, you know, doing whatever, buying clothes, you know, and so it's still fun. Yeah. <laughs> it was fun, but yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, I bought 12 cars and I was there. I mean, there's only so many cars you can buy, you know, I bought yeah. a couple houses yeah. like, and I finally was like, I was like, damn, I need to go show these dudes that we can do this. Like, yeah. and literally I was like, fuck, now that I know this is possible, I'm like, I would have never believed this unless I saw it myself. So I'm like, I've got to like, I, I just, just saved up some money and I was going to sell my house and I was just like, I'm going to quit my job and just like, like I said, I saw enough dudes making money on Instagram and shit and I'm like, there's no chance in hell these dudes are going to help hustle me. That's right. And I saw that shit and I was just like, I'm out. I remember calling my gym into my office. He's the only guy that ever let me work for him. You know what I mean? And I call him in there and he's like, what's up? And I was like, I don't know what to say other than the fact that I got to quit. He's like, what do you mean? I was like, I mean, no one walks away from that job. Like at the whole dealership, everyone begs to get the finance. Like Absolutely. you don't walk away from that's the, that's the promised land. People raise families and live good lives being a finance person. Yep. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And this dude that just did 12 years in prison with an eighth grade education, I'm just like, I'm already on to the next thing, you know? And um, I just told him, I was like, I just, I don't know what to say other than like, I just know I'm meant to do more. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm, I'm not meant to sit here and sell warranties like I'm doing. Like, I want to help people. And I just, by this time, like my vice, I got filmed with that vice TV show and I realized that like my story is kind of impactful, you know? And yep. I'm like, and I, to be honest, Josh, there's a good chance I could fall on my face and come after this job back. But like, I got to go try and do something on my own. I'm just going to try and get my story out there and help people. You know, and I'm like, I, have, I, to be honest, I have no idea what I'm going to do. And I didn't even think I was going to do a podcast when I quit my job. I didn't, I was going to open up a treatment center. That was my goal. Okay. And he's like, we talked for an hour and a half and like both cried and he just said he loved me, man. He's like, if it doesn't work out, he's like, I would love to have you back. And I'm just a fan of yours. And like, I, I still hang out and golf with him. And, um, so I just, I quit my job and by this time I had known a ton of people for networking out of that, out of that office and just do what I do, you know? And so what I did is I just built up a phone book, you know, and I started all these people that I know now, now I'm just like setting up a gym meeting, lunch, meeting, coffee, whatever. And I'm like picking everybody's brain, just figuring out with my brain what I can put where and where and who and who and two and two together here and there. And, um, it's been a pretty cool year and a half, man. That is so cool. Tell me a little bit about your brand, your clothing brand. Yeah, so that's another thing. You know, I started with uh, one of my good friends, Johnny. I like, I just, I'm real proud to be sober now. You know what I mean? And I realized that like my sobriety and my like recovery because I was such a fuck up before like helps a lot of people that are really struggle with with sobriety. And I just kind of wanted to like, I, you know, I'm always an alpha man. I like to like, you know, like like we talk about with prison, I run shit. And I like just, I wanted people to to be proud to be sober. You know, I feel like a lot of people that one thing I noticed is when people are sober, they want to stay on the down low. Like, you know, they don't yeah. drink either. And I'm like, I'm broadcasting that shit when I get to a bar. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I wanted to create a brand that was just like look cool and people would like promote and like, and it worked perfectly because now it's like when I wear that shit to the gym, people that are sober come pull me over and like I can talk to them. And if I wasn't wearing that, I would have never known that guy was sober. You know yeah, what I mean? I, love I just that. wanted I love that. Yeah, I wanted to create- stand out in front <laughs> of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, the, I, the other thing, I <laughs> totally off subject, but Seth told me that uh, when the COVID thing happened, that you were one of the guys that was training like the pro guys in, was it like in your gym or like in your my, garage? Yeah. <laughs> Is that crazy? I mean, I don't think that's like a crazy story. No, what, well, that's one thing. And I realized like how to get like kind of good at networking and stuff too. So I had like, I, I bought this house for this RV garage. So I had like a, it's a separate foot, like 44 foot RV garage with a built in office and a bathroom in the back. But it's that sounds huge, cool. Right? That sounds cool. 
dope. It's what literally sold the house to me. And I like, I had adventures. Like I would want to do a gym here or something, you know? And so the gyms are closing down and I was like, shit, I'm going to build this whole gym here. You know, I don't leave the house anyways, you know? And, um, so I had built this entire gym, like literally within overnight, like I had found this dude that bought and sold commercial gym equipment on the side. And like, I went over there and saw his whole gym. I was like, I went to go buy a couple pieces and I'm just like, it turned out, I was like, what if I just bought your whole gym? You know, and, I, <laughs> and then I always have like youngsters that I help mentor that get sober. So then yeah. I could get my little over to my house. And I paid them a hundred bucks a day to set everything up. So like I went from having nothing out there to I was working at some finance at a, all day long. And I come home from work that night and I have an entire gym in my house. Like <laughs> I'm not joking. Commercial gym, like everything you can imagine. I camera strength, this, and it got so big out here in Arizona, like gyms are closed down. So I, met, I noticed a lot of big time names that I was following were posting. Anybody know where any gyms are? Of course. I'm like, this is there perfect, you, are. you know, I had Tyron Matthews, the honey badger over here working out. Dion Buchanan, like a bunch of big time, a couple just dudes that are like as big as it gets out here. And I mean, there'd be 15 dudes here every day almost. Like sometimes it's just, and I live in a custom home studio, but not like that. You know what I mean? Like there'd be, Rolls Royces, McLarens, all down the street. Timing's like, everything, right, Pete? It's I mean, just perfect. So, yeah, I mean, I've networked with a bunch of NFL players too, and it's all from that. You know what I mean? And I just like timing was right on my stuff. You know what I'm saying? And like you've, you've taken all- you, but what the cool thing about your story is, is that you you've just stepped into it. You know, I mean, who does that? Who goes and buys a whole gym and during during COVID? Yeah. And then you're the guy that has everything, and you got the NFL guys over just using your stuff, and you make all these different connections from that. I love it's crazy, it. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, you know it should it should be a movie. I mean, obviously, you know it should be the Chappie. And I I forgot to ask, how, wh- where did Chappie come from? I just have a Chappie addiction, but that's it. I'll be damn. Is yeah, that you know they give you the, the old chapstick so guy? I would need that shit all day long, every day. So I always had Chappie. My name is. All right, so. Pete, I got to ask you. So after everything that you've lived through, I always ask this question at the end because, you know, you've been on one hell of a journey. Um, what do you think's your biggest takeaway from all this to shove it out there to the listeners? Um, to be honest, I feel like I was, I no joke, I was made on this earth to like literally – I'm, and I'm no joke. Like my biggest goal in life is like I'm gonna single-handedly change the recidivism rate for the entire country. Like I want to inspire people to make them be sober quick. Because another thing I noticed too is like when I'm out like with a bunch of the big first-time athletes and stuff, like all the guys that are drunk, they have hard to heart to me now when they're drunk, and they're like, "Dude, I want to be sober like you. I want to do this." Like yeah. I honestly want to recruit people that aren't even addicts and alcoholics to being sober. Like I want to start an entire sober movement. And I and I like literally it's cliche to sound. I want to be known for changing the world. Like literally, like that's my biggest goal. And I feel like God has blessed me so much for this because I'm like meant to change the world. And I'm not going to stop until I do it. Man. I love it. We got to end there. That's, that's, that's a good way. That's, I mean, I'll tell you, Peter, man, you are an inspiration. Your story is an inspiration. Um, I feel lucky to be able to have you on and, and be able to, for you to share this story. Um, anything Thanks, else I, I didn't it, ask you? Anything else I didn't that's ask fun. you? What'd you say? What'd you say, Pete? I said thank you. Another big shout out to Seth Bronte for hooking this up, man. Yeah, so, no, it's great. You. It was great. Uh, for anybody out there that's, uh, you know, just kind of looking around, uh, uh, you want to read a book. I wrote one. It's called Nightmare Success, um, Loyalty, Betrayal, Life Behind Bars, Adapting, Finally, finally Breaking Free, a memoir. Um, 
like social media. I love all that. Hey, anybody, there's a whole different weird algorithm that happens when you do a, a post, uh, a review on Apple. It helps the show. Go there, do that. Follow the little bell on Spotify. Follow the show. Share the show. Um, oh, and I was going to tell everybody, uh, I just got in to, from Travis Ritchie that helped me out. Nightmare Success In and Out is now on uh, Edovo. It's in 200 prisons for you guys that are behind the walls. I couldn't be more happy to be with you guys. Uh, go to the discovery section on your uh, tablet. Type in Nightmare Success In and Out. You'll find my episodes. Uh, thank you, Travis Ritchie, for that hookup. Um, as I used to say when I was typing from my core links, true links, back uh, when I was in prison, stay strong and I'll do the same. Peter Meyerhoff, thank you, my man. You're so cool. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. All right, man.